Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll see if a petite portion of pecan sticky buns was just right or left us wanting more. And we'll introduce a downsized pumpkin pie bar recipe that uses a shortbread crust, perfect for using up the last of your pumpkin puree. And we'll talk about what's grabbing our attention in 2020 with all of the latest food trends. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, our theme this month is small batch baking, and we are exploring kind of downsized versions of all of our favorite treats this month. And you recently sent me something from King Arthur Flower that really fit this theme. But I have to tell you, my friend, I was quite shocked because it used an ingredient I don't associate with you, the microwave. What's going on? I know. Don't worry. I did not get myself a microwave for Christmas. (laughs) Um, No, I got an email from King Arthur Flour, and it was for these single-serve mixes, and they're Mm gluten-free. They come in a little paper cup, kind of like you see the instant oatmeal, and it just really grabbed my attention, but I was like, you had to buy them in a 12-pack, and even though it was reasonably priced, you know, it was like, I think, $25 for the pack of 12, I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to get that. I don't even have a microwave. What am I going to do? Stash them in my purse and, like, hope I'm at someone's house and I can (laughs) pop it in there? on the road (laughs) but then when I was at my local grocery store there they are in the grocery aisle and lots of different flavors chocolate chip you know fudge brownie all that kind of good stuff and guess what I do have a microwave at work (laughs) (laughs) so now you have some dessert at work as well uh I haven't yet done it because I've just thought you know if i break that seal if I make it okay to make basically what I think is like a mug cake at lunchtime that might be someplace that I can't go back from but I'm still intrigued by these mixes and since all month we're talking about small batch baking I always like to give a nod to our listeners who I know we have some people who love to eat baked goods but they don't necessarily bake that much themselves Mm -hmm. and so I thought these King Arthur flour single serve gluten-free baking mixes that you can whip up in your microwave might be a really nice alternative for some people. You know what I'm picturing, Andrea, is the kind of classic office break room and you have your rack of, you know, your yeah. your tea bags and your maybe even your hot cocoa mix or your hot cider mix. And then you would have your little single serve mug cake next yeah. to it. I want to work in that office. <laughs> I know. I mean, you and I worked together oh so many years ago. And just imagine <laughs> if that had been stocked in the Pro Se, which was our, our corporate cafeteria. I think you and I would have never left. I would be camping out there for sure, making (laughs) mug after mug of something delicious. (laughs) Listeners, if you try these, let us know what you think about them and how good they are or if it's still better to make this sort of thing on your own. Yeah, I know we've had some chatter over the years about making mug cakes, and I was on a mission to find some of those. And I know some of our listeners had chimed in. So it's, um, it's definitely a trend that doesn't seem to be stopping. Speaking of another trend that doesn't seem to be stopping, that is the 
obsession with bundt cakes that Love the baking it. world has and many of our listeners has. Perennial obsession, yes. I wanted to talk a little bit about bundt pan sizing because I oh. have found it to be a bit tricky and um, I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on it. Mm. Now, okay. first of all, it will not surprise you to know that Rather than follow the recipe instructions, I just decide what pan I'm going to use based on what I think would look good. <laughs> I just feel like a bunt cake. I just feel like a bunt cake. And as you know, for my birthday, I gifted myself the Nordic Wear Brilliance mm. Bunt Pan. Yes. Now, bunt pans either talk about themselves in terms of inches and probably on your side – they would say, you know, centimeters, but over here they would say inches, and then they talk about the volume. So right, the right. Brilliance is a, or at least the one I got, maybe there's different sizes, I don't know. The one I got is a 10-cup volume. Mm -hmm. Right. Back in episode 152, we introduced a rum cake from Once Upon a Chef, and in her instructions, she says to use a 12-cup bunt. right. And then as part of the 19 for 19 baking resolutions, I said I was going to make some gingerbread, and I made Billy's gingerbread recipe from Ruth Reichel's delicious fiction book. And that recipe called for a six-cup bunt pan, and I talked Ooh. about that in episode 157. Mm -hmm. Now, Stefan, would it surprise you to know that I used my 10-cup Nordic Brilliance <laughs> bunt pan for both the... 12-cup rum cake, and the 6-cup gingerbread cake. Well, it doesn't exactly <laughs> surprise me. But here's something. I don't even know what size mine is. And a lot of people don't. Pretty sure it's not 6 because that sounds pretty small. But mine is either 10 or 12. I think yeah. 12 is the standard and okay. 6 is called the half size. Now, of course, okay. it's a really easy thing to figure out. You just take a cup of water and start, you know, Pouring it oh, into your bun pan and keep course. track. Yeah, of course. Okay, so I'm gonna do that you as can soon as we're done. Figure out really quickly um, what size your pan is. And so here's the two things I learned from using the incorrect pan size for both my recipes, and <laughs> okay. I wanted to share that. <laughs> Learning and laughs. Okay. So the rum cake, which was designed to be made into a 12 cup bun pan, and I mm -hmm. put it in a 10 cup bun pan, did yeah. overflow. Sure. Right. But it's not a disaster because all you need to do is slice off that bottom piece yeah. that overflowed. Because <laughs> it's cake. You flip the bunt cake over anyway, so no one's ever going to see it or ever going to know. Sure. Okay. And did you bake it on a baking tray so there wasn't any overflowing into your oven? Because that would be a mess. Luckily, I did. Yes. Okay. And so there was some overflow, but it was onto my baking sheet and my parchment, so it was a really easy cleanup. Okay. Great. I didn't have the same problem with Billy's gingerbread. That was a recipe for a six cup. Yeah. So I had the opposite problem, which is I was worried that I didn't have enough batter to really get the shape of the bunt to come out. Yeah, right. But luckily, it worked out just fine. It was still quite pretty. And I think because of the pattern of the brilliance, it would have been even nicer had it been a little bit taller as designed. But it worked out just fine. Oh, so good. I'm here to tell you that that one 10-cup bunt pan can still serve multiple purposes. And we had posted in our Facebook group about how to store your bunt pans. I loved it. Yes. I loved I think it was listener Nancy who said, like, doesn't everyone do it this way? And there was just a jumble. <laughs> And then I had mentioned that I knew we had a listener who had remodeled their kitchen and had some creative ideas. And thank goodness she posted, and that was Renee. Did you I see know. those 
fabulous pull-out drawers that she designed. Yes, I keep going back to it. I kind of can't get that out of my mind. It's such a clever, clever storage. So thank you for that inspiration, Renee. Yeah, and I'm super jealous. And Renee, if you've ever got some free time on your hand, I wouldn't mind a quick video of how that actually works. <laughs> because I can look at it and I can kind of conceptually imagine how they slide in and out and then move in. But actually seeing it in action would be kind of fun. I tell you, I am so happy. I'm going to go figure out what size bunt pan I have, number yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question that's not necessarily baking related, but now is just kind of lodged in my brain? Sure. <laughs> Is it Billy with a Y or an I-E? It's with an I-E. Yes, I was hoping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why that makes a difference to me. It's a girl, Billy. Okay, and she was the heroine of the story, right? Yes, the heroine okay. of the story. And in my head, uh, Billy's who are girls do it with an I-E, although I'm not sure if that's entirely true. But Okay, great. Lots lots to think about in <sighs> this. Uh, and we-, we are only 10 minutes in, my friend. <laughs> Glad we cleared that up. Well, let's get down to some baking, shall we? Let's do it. And our first bake-along this month of downsized treats was some pecan sticky buns. The yield was four, although they came from a website called Dessert for Two, and had your basic yeast dough ingredients, including warm water, active dry yeast, a little bit of granulated sugar, some unsalted butter, and flour. There's your dough. You let that rise until doubled, and you fill it with chopped pecans, brown sugar, salt, and unsalted butter. You know, from that point, it is the same as making kind of any standard batch of pecan buns, but you get four in the end. You pop them into a jumbo muffin tin. I was super excited about that. And of course, with a sticky bun, you are putting some butter and the nuts in the bottom so that when you turn it out, you have that glorious sticky topping from whence they get their name. Andrea, How did these go for you? I know that you are not the world's biggest cinnamon roll fan, so I was happy to do a yeast bread, a breakfast bread that you could really get behind. And I thank you, my friend, because these turned out great. Oh, fantastic. Loved them. Um, A couple of things I wanted to say. I love that this recipe gives you the little test up front about your yeast. And you can make sure that your yeast is not dead by, you know, making sure that it foams. I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah. And good at this time of year because what a great time of year in January to restock your yeast if it is, in fact, dead. True enough. I had no problem making the dough. And I liked her instructions about how you can pick the dough up and then grease the bowl with the extra butter and add the dough back to the bowl. She's using the same bowl is the great thing about this. And she's just basically telling you, yeah, you don't have to, you know, go ahead and get a second bowl and grease that. You can just use the bowl you mixed it in. So I really love that instruction. I had no trouble getting it to rise and getting it to double. It did take mine about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I placed it in the oven. I didn't use her tip which is turning the oven to 200 degrees for five minutes. I stuck with the tip I've been using from Alexandra Stafford back when we made her peasant bread, and that is I preheat my oven to 400 degrees for one minute only, and then I turn it off. That's exactly what my notes say. I just have it crossed out, and I'm like, follow Alexandra Stafford's advice here. I think that 200 degrees Fahrenheit seems a little hot to me. 
That's what I was worried about. And especially mm-hmm. since I usually let mine rise with saran wrap on top, I just thought, oh, I don't want the chance of that melting. So once your dough has doubled, you go ahead and flour a surface and roll it out. That worked really well. And then you combine your pecans and your brown sugar. I love that she tells you not to skip the salt because the buns taste <laughs> flat without it. Yep, this is your kind of gal. I mean, going back to our past the salt mini episode we did a couple of months ago, it's just a reminder that even though it's a small amount, you really do need it. Now, Andrea, I'm sorry to tell you that I had issues with my rise. Oh. And I did do the yeast test and it bubbled. And for whatever reason, I didn't get a great rise on these. So that's probably down to me and not this recipe. Um, But that just kind of, you know, when they don't rise, they just are a little bit dense. And I do like a good, dense, chewy, yeasty roll, but I wish I would have gotten a better rise on this one. But it didn't sound like you had that issue at all. I didn't. Did you add the pinch of sugar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did. So, you know, sometimes we talk about this a lot when we're doing bread. You know, kitchen chemistry that day, maybe my oven didn't get warm enough. Maybe Mm -hmm. there was a draft from somewhere. Uh, Maybe my yeast was kind of like on the verge of turning bad. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, it's hard to know. Um, But I do support that first tip because if your yeast is bad, that's the end of it. Um, But it wasn't as clear cut for me. So um, I know it because the taste on these was really good. And I think one of the reasons is because of all the butter, which is coming up in the filling. Well, and that's where I ran into problems. So um, step 11 is to slice two tablespoons of the butter evenly and place it over the pecan filling in the pan. So that's going to end up being your topping, but it starts out in the bottom of the pan. Right. And then, unfortunately, my eyes jumped straight from step 11 to step 13. Step 12 is where you're supposed to take the remaining four tablespoons of butter and spread it over the dough. Mm -hmm. And so you're supposed to have it in your dough, and then you sprinkle your pecan mixture over the dough, and you roll it up into a tight log and slice it into four equal pieces. I did that. I put each bun in each muffin cup, and then I sort of turned around, and I saw my four tablespoons of butter sitting there. And... I had already rolled my rolls and had them in the pan. Okay, fascinating. How was the – were they too dry? Well, what I did was take a tablespoon of butter and just plop Mm -hmm. it on top of each roll. And I sort of pressed it down a little bit. Because I did take that four tablespoons of butter and I put it over my dough. My dough at some point could simply not absorb any more softened butter. So Mm. I think I probably only used two tablespoons in my filling. And I thought it was just fine. I thought it was really still very rich. I thought it was nice and moist. I didn't have any problem there. So maybe that wasn't as big of a deal as it could have been, you know? Yeah. 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 If you're looking to cut some calories, feel free to mess around (laughs) with that. (laughs) That's right. How about your second rise? Did you have any problems? I didn't have too many problems there. And, you know, from from that point, you're just going to put them in the oven. And they're kind of like an upside down cake, as you just alluded to. You've got all those nuts and the butter on the bottom. You bake them. They puff up and get nice and brown. And then probably the trickiest part of this recipe is not burning yourself as you turn them out of the pan. So you do want to be really careful. That's like hot boiling sugar. And it's bubbled all around the the buns and is is looking so pretty um so do be careful i think that i set them out for about three minutes before i attempted that make sure you've got a tray or a plate that's big enough to capture all of the buns at once also because they're going to come out all at once um and then they're really pretty and you've got four beautiful pecan sticky rolls 
Yeah, and I didn't actually turn the pan upside down. I just used a fork because, okay, you yeah. know, that's going to be the bottom of the bun anyway. So I just used my fork to sort of grab them and flip them out. And then I did turn the pan upside down just to drizzle the remaining melted caramel all over the buns once they were on the plate. So that was great. <laughs> Stefan, I have a quick question for you about mm. what you do when your jumbo muffin tin mm-hmm. requires four baked items and you've got six muffin holes in your pan do you do the four corners or do you do more you know three on one side one on the other how do you do that I usually do two and two and then I've got the extra two on the end and I use that as an extra kind of handle okay and do you fill the empty cups with hot water I don't I've heard that tip forever is that what you do I do okay It sounds like yours turned out fine, but I've heard that they bake more evenly if you do that. So I do. It was only two cups, so. Because the pan is more even, is that why? That's what I've heard. Uh Yeah. So I put mine in the four corners, and then those two middle ones I filled about two-thirds full with hot water. Well, you know, I did have one that kind of slanted. I wonder if that's why. I thought it was just down to the position I'd put the dough into the into the cup, but maybe it was because it was a little bit off center mm. as well. And you have your fan oven too. As we know from my cupcakes with the with the <laughs> funny tops. You know, the one thing is I thought mine were getting a little bit brown faster than I liked. So after about 10 minutes, I put a piece of foil over the top and then I got an, a very nice color at the end. Did yours, how was your browning? Oh, that's interesting. So I, the recipe says bake it at 375 for 20 minutes. And at 20 minutes, I didn't think they were brown enough. So I baked oh. another five. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That may be down to the fact that I'm using a convection oven and yours is yeah. a standard oven. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. We ate these on a Sunday, and they were really good. Uh, we didn't eat them all, and I put them in a food storage container and put them in the fridge. And the next time I ate them was on a Wednesday morning. So what, what's that? Four or five days later. Yeah. I turned my oven to about 300 degrees. I put it on just a sheet of aluminum foil in the oven for about 15 minutes, and I thought it was really good. So I love that these don't have to be eaten the day that you make them. As long as you rewarm them in the oven, I think that they still have all the flavor of when you first took them out. There is also nothing more dramatic than kind of turning out a hot, sticky pecan roll and serving it right away oh, as yeah. well, which is what which is what I did. And I really liked this small batch. You know, I think this is a great jumping off point, too, for this dough because she gives you all of the proportions for just a nice small batch of yeast dough. So, you know, if you're a real cinnamon roll lover, then make cinnamon rolls with this dough. There's nothing kind of specific to a pecan bun about this yeast dough, and it's just a nice size. I liked that. That's a very good point. I know when we made those Yukon Gold cinnamon rolls, I think the recipe was either 12 or 16, which is great if you have mm. a household full of people. Sure. But right. at my house, we just ended up having cinnamon rolls coming out of our ears. And so I really, <laughs> really like this pecan sticky bun size with the four rolls. I thought it turned out great. Stefan, this week's Bake Along is a pumpkin pie bar, and it comes from a website called Baking Mischief. The title is actually Small Batch Shortbread Pumpkin Pie Bars. I love shortbread. I love pumpkin pie flavor. I've never had the two together. And you know, this also says um, they're everything you love about pumpkin pie, but with an easy shortbread base, crunchy streusel topping, and sweet cream drizzle. Do you remember when we did the butterscotch cake with caramel frosting? And you're like, I love all the words. I mean, this is what I'm saying right now. (laughs) Yes. Pumpkin pie, shortbread, streusel, and sweet cream. Sign me up. Yeah. 
So this is, yes, you're right though, this is an unusual base in that it will be maybe more like a cookie base because it does have that shortbread. And, you know, again, I think these are not recipes that are breaking new ground in ingredients or in method, but really what they're doing is, is shrinking the quantity. So for that base, you have some butter, powdered sugar, uh, regular sugar, vanilla, all-purpose flour, and salt. And then you're going to top with a pumpkin pie layer that is milk your canned pumpkin puree, brown sugar, an egg yolk, cinnamon, salt, ginger, nutmeg, and cloves, your streusel of some flour, brown sugar, and more butter, and then your sweet cream drizzle of powdered <laughs> sugar, heavy cream, or milk. I like how or milk when I printed it out is like in lighter, so I don't notice it as much. <laughs> and then a little bit of vanilla. The great thing about this recipe, we mentioned this last week, is that it uses half a cup of the canned pumpkin puree. Yes. So if you've got any leftover pumpkin puree from your holidays, you finally get to use it, and that's great. I also love on the pumpkin pie layer, the author, Tracy, specifies half a cup of milk, any percentage. I mean, it's just so nice. I don't have to worry about if I've got 2% and they want me to use whole or vice versa. Yeah, I love that too. And you know, she also notes that these freeze really well, which is nice if maybe you're not going to get to them right away, but want to bake along with us. And this is where the five by seven or the 35 square inch uh, baking Pyrex comes mm -hmm. into play. We talked about that last week. Um, you may have that. I know that my Pyrex food storage is a five by seven. So that's what I'm going to be using. Andrea, I think you have a um, one that you're borrowing from your daughter's friend. Borrowing is a nice word, yes. I have not yet returned <laughs> the baking Confiscated. dish. Confiscated. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It'd be nice of me to return it full, but of course I have to try these, so I might have to bake something else yeah. after this. Yeah, return it with a, with a few of them. I did have a quick question on the shortbread base. I have been making my shortbread in the food processor. When I look at this one, it looks like it's meant to be made in a stand mixer. Would you agree with that? She says, in a medium bowl, cream together the butter, powdered sugar, and granulated sugar until light and fluffy one to two minutes. I think so, too. I mean, you could also use a handheld mixer, I suppose, if you don't have a stand yeah. mixer. But yes, I'm not thinking that's by hand. You know, a lot of times they'll tell you to use your mixer. So I just wanted to check on that. Yeah, so then you are just pressing that base into your 5 by 7 baking dish, baking that off. And while that's baking, then making your streusel. Cool completely before adding your sweet cream drizzle. I just, I don't know, something about sweet cream drizzle. I really like the title of that. Mm. I do too. I may be calling glaze sweet cream drizzle from now on. <laughs> I wanted to point out something in the instructions that just gave me pause. Okay. And it's all correct. It just wasn't quite laid out the way I expected. And I worried that something was left out. Okay. So she splits the instructions into three sections, mm -hmm. shortbread base, streusel, and the glaze. But the pumpkin pie layer is included in steps four and five of the shortbread base. That's a really great point because then when you get down to the streusel, the first one is while your pumpkin pie layer is baking and you'd be like, where did that happen? And that's what happened because I've, I've told you I tend to skim recipes mm, rather right. than read them carefully. So <laughs> even as I was preparing for this show, I saw that step and I was like, oh my gosh, my pumpkin pie layer is baking. Where? I, right, I haven't right. done that. So right. yeah. Okay. It's good in point. there. Don't worry. Well, we hope that you bake along with us this week. Remember that we will have a link to both of the recipes we've talked about today. It was the pecan sticky buns from Dessert for Two and the small batch shortbread pumpkin pie bars from Baking Mischief. We'll put those in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 159, on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. 
Stefan, we've had so much fun over the past few years doing a food trend segment in our January shows. And let me tell you, 2020 is shaping up to be another amazing year food-wise. I know. We've loved reporting on alternative sweeteners, flowers, ingredients, and cuisines. So let's hope this year we're bang on trend or ahead of the curve once again. Starting off with the one you just mentioned, according to Whole Foods, alternative flowers are set to be huge again in 2020, including that banana flower we got our Facebook community chatting about last fall. I know! And we've baked with several alternative flours, including buckwheat and rye, and you've experimented with gluten-free flour and chickpea flour. And we've teased about it for some time, but we can now safely reveal that our much-anticipated Flower Power Month, where we'll be taking a deep dive into all of these and more, is currently scheduled for this March. And I recently attended a baking class focused on using ancient grains, einkorn, emmer, spelt, and kamut korshan. So I've already got some great ideas. This listener suggestion popped up last year, and we held on to it until the right time. So 2020 it is. Well, to top off some of our loaves, cookies, pastries, or whatever else we end up whipping up with our alternative flowers in March, we may also want to add another 2020 food trend, alternative butters. Whole Foods says that plant-based butters made from nuts and seeds are going to be big this year. Okay, point of clarification. Are these alternatives to peanut butter or dairy butter? The latter. These are vegan dairy butters, but made with things like chickpeas, cashews, or other plant-based ingredients. I've used the Earth Balance vegan sticks in my dairy-free lactation cookies with great success, so I am interested in trying out some of these alternatives. And speaking of toppings, Whole Foods also says that alternative syrups are set to explode. Think pomegranate, monk fruit, coconut, sweet potato, sorghum, and date. I'd be on board with any of those. (laughs) Me too. And it sounds like they may be perfect for the home baker to whip up or at least experiment with, too. Now, moving on to another trend forecaster, THP, that's a food and beverage industry trade association. They identify a really interesting set of trends, including a word I think they may have coined themselves, deserate. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't get that one to show up on any dictionaries I consulted. (laughs) But what they mean is a natural dessert or a dessert in their simplest form. And, you know, that really aligns with other food trends towards simple and whole ingredients. So think about a simple but delicious poached pear or a fresh fruit tart with just a small dollop of cream. Sadly, it's probably not the year for my Baked Alaska dreams. (laughs) Don't worry, Baked Alaska's time will come around again. Well, here's another big word from THP, gastrophysics. What the heck? That's a fancy word for the 2020 trend of mood food, choosing your meals or sweets based on what they can do for your mood, which is a bit of an outgrowth of last year's trend for functional food. All right, give me an example. I already know chocolate makes me feel good, but I have a feeling that's not exactly what they're talking about here. Well, in a certain sense it is, and we've been doing that for years, haven't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, grabbing a pint of Ben & Jerry's to see us through the blues is almost a cliche. But gastrophysics is more about paying attention to the intersection of body and mind and being mindful about making choices based on how you feel or want to feel. So think about choosing a handful of nuts when you need a boost of serotonin. And serotonin is the feel-good brain chemical. Or what about probiotic yogurt, or its cousin prebiotic, which is found in things like apples and oats, to nourish your gut health? 
Okay, well, one of my good mood foods has got to be citrus, and that flavor, along with many others, is also a 2020 food trend. Yeah, according to the Special Events Trade Organization Benchmark, consumers are going to see a lot of unique fruit flavors go mainstream in 2020. So not just orange, but bergamot or blood orange. Not just lemon, but Meyer lemon. As well as yuzu, calamansi, magroot lime, pomelo, and oogly fruit, a Jamaican form of the tangelo, to name just a few. There were several on that list I have never heard of, so I, for one, am going to be very interested in learning more about those this year. And once again, it sounds like Preheated has been ahead of the curve because we've been talking about Meyer lemons almost since episode one. Andrea, we're so trendy, we're timeless. Yeah. (laughs) Now, a final trend that sounds super interesting is bright, bold colors to go along with those bright, bold tastes and a return to whole natural ingredients. Consumers can expect to see food colored with things like blue algae, beets, matcha, and butterfly pea flower tea, which changes color from blue to purple when acidity is added to it. Cool. I love kitchen chemistry. I also love doing our trend reports because we learn so much. And we have so much to look forward to. Listeners, the world of food trends and predictions is huge, so there's a good bet we missed one that you're excited about. Won't you share it with us? Shoot us an email at host at preheatedpodcast.com or comment in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week we'll see just how well the pumpkin pie bars used up the last of our puree and introduce a brownie that's perfect for an emergency. And I'll report in from my recent trip to Porto and Lisbon as the globetrotting gourmet eats her way through Portugal. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.